Hi, I'm Robert. And I'm Keegan. And you're listening to Brave New Space. On today's episode of Brave New Space, we're going to focus on the topic to build or fly and look at some of the industry players on whether they want to be operators or stick with being manufacturers. Right now, there is a bit of not even really really a dispute, just an internal prioritization of resources that's going on in the space industry where a lot of different satellite manufacturers and launch providers are kind of getting into both sides of the launch and satellite operations game. It's really a decision of whether or not a company wants to take on the added responsibilities of manufacturing multiple products in what is already a fairly expensive and uh, overhead intense industry. And probably the most well-known example of this is probably got to be the Starlink project that SpaceX is moving forward with. So a launch provider is already developing a suite of satellites that they intend to operate for, in this case, telecommunications. But they are by no means the only example of this right now. No, no, certainly not. I mean, you have Amazon with its satellite project, and that is, you know, a separate company from Jeff Bezos's launch company, Blue Origin. The Samsung, they have a, a satellite project. You have OneWeb, which is just dedicated, focused on satellite. A lot of a lot of potential uh, competition in this satellite constellation, looking to provide um, internet services from space. But if we go back in in to 20th century history. And we look at um, how the civilian airline industry formed. You know, initially you had military aircraft that were taking essentially postal mail. And then you had private carriers that were also joining. And then in the 1930s, they essentially declared that aircraft manufacturers could no longer really own airlines. And Boeing had owned essentially United. And I wonder if we might see that type of regulation occur within the space sector at some point? It's definitely going to be a conversation that comes up. The industry is still kind of young for that to be something that, you know, anyone's going to be concerned with. I mean, right now, functionally, the only uh, space liner out there right now is Virgin Galactic. But it will be interesting to see if this is something that becomes a major sticking point a little earlier than maybe we had already thought. Yeah. And back in 19, I think it was 1931, Congress passed legislation barring, you know, barring aircraft manufacturers from owning airlines. United and the Transport Corporation were split into three parts. It was Boeing, United Aircraft, and United Airlines. I mean, could you, you know, one day see, you know, a group like Virgin or SpaceX being split into, you know, the 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 builder, the manufacturer, you know, maybe the MRO company, that's the maintenance, repair and operations, and then a separate kind of space line operations. And I and I, I think that that's probably a, a long ways off because the industry at this point is so nascent and there's still so much technology development that's happening. So if we had to compare ourselves to where commercial air travel was, we, you know, 2004 was our 1903. I mean, obviously there had been efforts into commercial space flight prior to that, but that was the first, you know, manned attempt that really, really meant something. So we are right now where air travel was in around World War One. <laughs> it's going to be a little while before we actually see the number of carriers be sufficiently large en enough to where political entities are going to want to step in and uh, try to break up the flyers and the operators as they did with the commercial airlines industry. 
I could conceivably see companies like Virgin maybe getting broken up. Honestly, Virgin is so into horizontal integration, they might be one of the few ones that uh, manages to avoid that, just on the grounds that they aren't really operating in any kind of monopolistic fashion. But you could conceivably run into a scenario where a launch operator might be operating you know, one or more airlines and trying to muscle out a few competition. But that doesn't seem to be a concern that the industry has right now, partly because nobody really has the launch capacity anywhere near what you'd need to even have that kind of competition. So we're talking about a possible political issue that may be dealt with at some point when the industry has enough stuff flying in the first place for it to even be an issue. So, yeah, I think we're, we're a ways away. And, and I think if you had, let's just say, say the government stepped in and was going to tell SpaceX they can't do satellites or, or, you know, try to essentially regulate some of their business model. I think that w- that investors would be scared and this would be quite problematic for the overall industry um, because groups like SpaceX need to find as many different creative ways for revenue generation as possible. You're absolutely right. Now, Will the government try to step in and either uh, break up Star, you know, whatever Starlink is? I think that would only happen until there's a possibility SpaceX might just end up creating a subsidiary purely for Starlink. In fact, I can't really imagine a scenario where they wouldn't have to do that in the first place. So it might be possible that those two organizations within the parent company might be so compartmentalized by the time such a hypothetical break did happen to where the investors would be able to not shrug it off, but be able to to handle it a little better than if they were highly integrated. But again, SpaceX isn't the only example of all, all this. I think it's possible that as we run into a scenario where launch providers have the opportunity to now become essentially ISPs and telecommunication companies, someone at ULA has got to be having this conversation. Someone at Blue has got to be having the conversation about putting up their own private you know, communications network. So this might be an issue that comes up on multiple fronts. But from where we sit right now, it'll be interesting to see where the political will to all, to combat this hypothetical problem would actually come from. Wouldn't shock me for a minute if it ended up being all the cable providers ended up just kind of ganging up on SpaceX or whoever just to be able to stop them from totally overrunning their part of the market. Another footnote from kind of space recent space history was there was a prize that Robert Bigelow of uh, Bigelow Aerospace put up, and his intention was to build uh, private space habitats, essentially space stations. And he was using technology that was originally uh, developed at NASA, inflatable modules. And he actually has a test module right now connected to uh, the International Space Station. But his trouble was getting access to space. And I'm sure he was approached numerous times to start his own transportation company, which he had no interest in doing. So he tried to use a prize to incentivize access to space. It didn't pan out. no, No one won the prize. And we might be a little bit beyond needing something like a, a prize for that for launch because we there seems to be a lot of energy. There's now you have over a hundred launch efforts around the globe. Statistically, most won't survive. They'll experience the chasm of death. They'll run out of money. They'll hit technical issues. But um, we're looking at um, healthy, robust, and repeatable launch and much lower cost to access to space in the relatively near future. 
Yeah, and you also have to take into account that even if 90% of those of those new uh, launch projects die off, you're talk- still talking about 10 new potential you know launch providers out there. I mean, there's a total of two aircraft manufacturers for commercial aviation, uh, three if you count Embraer. That's still a really, really diverse and healthy ecosystem that you could be looking at, even if there was a mass die-off. So essentially, we have a, a pretty diverse amount of launch technology being developed. I give a shakeout over the next um, two to five years in terms of what is probably more more sticky and, and who's going to be who's going to survive from the the numerous the dozens of launch companies that are not flying yet. It's also worth mentioning that a lot of the technology being developed by these companies is almost certainly going to be gobbled up by some of the bigger players out there, especially if they're doing anything in reusable tech. So you could see someone like Firefly or what have you maybe going the way of orbital sciences at some point in the future and being, you know, going through some kind of merger and uh, its assets being, you know, conglomerated together into one of the bigger players out there who wants to get access to low cost, small payload launch. The industry as a whole has matured enough to where a lot of these companies that are developing launch right now, they're not just building vaporware. They have actual product that is being put together and more than a few of them actually done flights. So even in hypothetical failure, these companies are going to be adding something back to the industry. And then even when those companies fail, you know, those employees go off to, to join other companies, start their own companies. So um, again, you know, failure is a is definitely a a healthy part of this um, a part of a, an ecosystem. Now, the other thing that is worth talking about when we're discussing the conundrum of whether to build or to fly is that it does not just include you know to build satellites and to also b- build launch vehicles. It also comes down to to build satellites or to operate satellites or to handle some other service element of it. There's been more than a couple cases of satellite manufacturers getting out of the manufacturing game and handling the purely data analytics. So could we also conceivably see a scenario where, say, a company like Planet Labs might decide that rather than manufacturing the satellites themselves, they just want to handle the actual data acquisition and management of the information they're pulling back down and maybe even handle the actual just mission management of the actual networking in the first place. But I think at, at this point in the industry, the companies are still at a relatively small enough stage where you're finding m- many of them, you know, they're, they're, especially the ones that are developing some type of constellation, some hardware. They're also interested in operations of their satellite because usually they're, they don't have a constellation yet. There's, uh, I mean, Planet has a bunch operating, but there's a lot of planned ones. And it's just going to sort of take some time for them to kind of figure out like, um, what do they actually want to be or what what or what sh- what are they actually capable of becoming and i think we might see that kind of all happen in a relatively in kind of that same 5 year window you're talking about there i mean the industry will as all industries do go through a call at some point and that's probably going to hit everybody to one degree or another during the course of that time and as launch providers are either absorbed into each other or, you know, fold, we'll inevitably see their customers have to adapt to whatever the new reality is. And ultimately, new opportunities will emerge from that. So it'll be interesting to see how the industry continues to mature with this to build to fly conundrum. Thanks for joining us today on Brave New Space. Join us next time as we cover Space by the Numbers, our newest segment covering all the big numbers in the space industry. This very first episode will be covering SpaceX's Starship program and the purported $2 million price tag 
for each of its launches. Hi, listener. My new book, Space is Open for Business, is coming out soon, and I want you to get a sneak preview of it. Head on over to my website, robertjacobson.com, for a first look.